live from the Pathway Studios in Johnston proper. You are live from the path. To live from the path, we're coming from the uh, Pathway Studios here in Johnston proper. Hello, my name is Mike. Hi, Mike. I am not. What, bring, th- what brings you here today? Hey, so so I, I caught a lot of backlash from last week's show because uh, Buva had been off the show for a year and no one even mentioned it. We just said, well, Buva and Nathaniel haven't been on the show together in ten years, but we didn't really celebrate Buva's triumphant return to the ring. Oh man, and I have, don't, I don't, I don't triumphant. Don't you think? Don't you think that's, that's overselling it? That's strong. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he came in guns blazing. Yeah, straight. but that doesn't mean he was triumphant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, as a matter of fact, in any given war, the loser also was a blazing gun. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What? Wait, is that for? Hey, that runs. Remember when? Remember the when, when Jay was in here? We also did it. Like we lack formality. I think is the problem. Uh, we we just don't run. I, I think it's my general assumption that no one is listening to the show who hasn't already listened to the show, and so I, I find I just not in my mind to introduce people or reset a scene. Like the, it just comes on as if you're dropping in uh, to a reality show, and then the mics go off and you've stopped, and no one stops and explains their life all the time. Is but, that was that the miss, Mike? Uh, yeah, I th- I think it was that like. Like I mean, he was a a serious, uh, giant part of the show for like six, seven, eight years. I don't know, most of it, right? Most of the years. Yeah, yeah, I'd be and, around. And then and then his, he retires and leaves, and he comes back for a, for a one one stop, and we let it go without any fanfare or like, hey, it's great to have Booba back in the studio after a year long, whatever. We're just like, yeah, Booba's here, <laughs> <laughs> and so. And so I don't know. It feels like maybe we're kind of jerks, Ben. I think is was the oh, overall man. take. Really? Did you, did you ever though like listen to a podcast and they spend the first ten minutes all the formality crap? Like, yeah, my name's John, and yeah. uh, well, Joe hasn't been with us for a while, and yeah, and, and, you, and, and like I, I turn it off before they even get to. Maybe like, people don't care. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I care. Yeah, and I think that's true in general. We we do care far less about. Um, uh, co- contextual stuff, especially stuff like that. Like relationships mean something to you because you're in them. But if they're not your relationship, I, you're like, okay, great. Hey, did, did Ben tell you that we ran into Tim Cooper? You remember Tim? Yeah, Cooper? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Little gonna, British accent going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we talked to him for a little bit, and I, 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 I he's coming in. I, I said we got to find a free Monday night. Tim Cooper going to come back in. Oh, that'll be a party. This is the type of formality stuff that, like you as a listener, you won't care about because you never met Tim Cooper. He was on here like nine, ten years ago. Uh, but like he's a great dude, and we're gonna have him in. And so I was just thinking about that. Is like if I brought up uh, brought up that as an example, you're right. People wouldn't care at all. Yeah, they're like okay. And I sallied forth with it anyway. So why why uh, why yeah. is he here? Why produce Tim or what, shut up? Mike? What I got to say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, you're listening to Life from the Path. Um, thanks for joining us. Boov is not here. No, he's not here. What? He retired again. Yeah. Yeah. He's good like, luck. Old Biden's gonna get wise to it. On. He ain't giving you no more money. <laughs> Holy cats! Did you see? Um, hey, what, what do you what do you know about this? What what do you know about this kid stimulus? Are they gonna start sending me checks for these kids? Yeah, like legit <sighs> checks. Yes. When's that gonna fire up? I think in like a month or two. Well, no. hot dog. No, we're gonna run out of money. Yes, no, it's my money that they're just giving back to me uh, at higher interest. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, no, this, yeah. Huh. I mean, but here's the thing. It's just like people would say, you know, like Warren Buffett would say, hey, man, well, I would pay more in taxes. And you're like, go ahead, Warren. Cool. Yeah. Send it in. My, am I, you know, am I going to send this check back? This is where they have me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I, I think mean, I think they're going to waste it. I mean, I know the they're going to waste it. They sent it back to me already. <laughs> if he keeps if he keeps giving me money, I don't need this gig no more. I'm going to go out Booba style. I'm just going to straight retire from this place. That's oh. why that's why these restaurants can't stay open. It's why the Walgreens can't hire. Mike, did you see the, one of the rest uh, Claxons in Altoona or uh, the Fireside Grill in Altoona is closing down for a few days? No, uh, or closing early. I think two days a week because they get they just can't get enough help. It's go. I mean, it's going around. They said it's uh, it's causing a plasma shortage. Because people aren't donating plasma. Because they don't need the money. Because they oh. don't need the money. Wow. Yeah, but there's a ripple effect. I think that's pretty serious. Yeah, it's that. That's not. Uh, I mean, here, here's a just wise thought here, regardless of what you think about it. Like, um, this stuff isn't free. Like, you, you, one, the money's not free. But, but two, like, there are bigger, there are bigger consequences. Did you guys remember when we were talking? Um, one of the one of the pro- campaign promises was like, hey, hey, well, let's let's just eliminate student debt. I'm right. like, okay, sure. Uh, that sounds great for the person whose debt you eliminated, but like, th- there's there's a greater impact in that. There's 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 banks who are hiring, who've got employees who support student loan things. There's guys, there's call centers all over the place with people servicing this stuff. Like, and maybe that's okay. Maybe those infrastructures are okay to go, but don't walk into it thinking like you can just make one thing and like it's fresh, it's fresh goods for everybody. Right. Hmm. Okay. I mean, maybe I should go back to school. When are they going to enact this? Yeah, I'd I like mean, to, I'd like to front load some debt and then have it be swept away. Yeah, you could do it, Mike. In fact, that you could um, uh, you could pay for your mortgage and stuff while they're sending you the kid money, and while mm-hmm. you're going to school, and then incur a bunch of debt and then just get it wiped away. Boy, hmm. I don't know why I've been such a fool all these years. I know you just didn't play. The, here's the thing. I now here, that, but this is the same thing I would say about the tax code. Is uh, there was a, the big deal about politicians? They're like, hey man, that guy's got money in offshore accounts and uh, he's invested in this, so he's paying nearly no taxes. I'm like, is it legal? Is he following the tax? Well, yes, he is. Well, then it's not his fault. I don't expect him to be more generous than the tax code. And so I would say the same thing here. I would very much expect people to take advantage of the student loan thing. Mm-hmm. That's why you don't do it. But, like, if you do it, uh, someone's going to, like, it's not illegal. They're going to, to use it to their best advantage. And I, I would expect people to do that. And so you just can't set it up that way. You don't want to create a disadvantage to what you're trying to do. All right. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. uh, hey, so there was an article. Um, there's an article on Christianity Today that was, "Do you follow the right Jesus?" Oh no. Ooh. Four cultural values entice us toward an Americanized Messiah. Okay, now hold on. Crucified Christ. This is a great question because uh, we were just talking about this before the show started, right? Yep. Is if you did not have the scriptures as a reference, could you identify, say, the differences between these four? Jesus's That's right. A good question. Yeah, yeah. And so we, so let's let's look at it through through that lens as you read the article. But but Dan brought up a point we were just talking about, like like Joseph was before Torah, before the law. Yep. Right. And so, uh, but but he behaved uh, above reproach, right? Like he skinned out of places he didn't belong. Uh, he wasn't gossiping about people. He kept his mouth shut. God gave him the uh, ability to interpret dreams. He was fair and generous with his family who had burned him. Like like all attributes, all uh, Romans twelve attributes of how uh, you know people are supposed to be acting as a follower of Jesus Christ. So and 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 therefore a follower of Yahweh. And so um, if that's the case, and 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 he didn't have a scripture to point back to or remind on, you know, what does his his relationship look like with God? And can we tell? You know the types of things or the behavior of things of 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 these four Jesuses. You know, could we do that without the Bible? Okay, oh, go. Okay, fire. 
All right, so uh, let's see. As pastors immersed in Western culture, oh, this is four pastors, sorry. Four vices of worldly discipleship are deeply ingrained in the church. Just as Jesus taught the Twelve, we too must reject these four things categorically, not only because they are illusory and temporary, but because they damage us and the people we lead. Here we go. Number one, the temptation of popularity. Who doesn't want to be popular? The problem is that our desire for popularity leads us to do and say things solely to impress other people. Jesus calls his disciples to utterly reject showy spirituality for popularity's sake. Okay, so let's stop at that one. Mike, how does that fit in with the question you're asking? Uh, so uh, did Joseph do things that were not popular? Joseph. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, he told dreams and his brothers didn't like it. <laughs> Correct. It's what got him exercised, uh, ostracized in the first place. Right? Got him shipped off near death. Yep. 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 Uh, two. He, he uh, I suppose it's a popular move to have relations with the highest woman in the land. When she's throwing herself at you. Yeah, when yeah. she definitely says, yes, let's do this thing, and he goes, nope, I'm out of here, and he, he John Mark styles it out. Yes. Right. Yep. So I would say, I would say Joseph innately uh, covered, covered this ground. He, he made moves that were countercultural and, and were not gaining him any popularity, especially the dream interpretation. Right? Do you remember the stones it takes to interpret the dream he did to the to the reigning dude at the time? Right. I mean, these were the these were against him. Right. Like your land is going to suffer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Based on one, Joseph Solid. So let's see. Um, we go, go so go go back beyond the Joseph question. Um, is is it? How would we describe this then? Is it to say if if you are popular? You are fo- you are implicitly following an Americanized Jesus. Like, how would you know if you're getting this wrong? Because it can't just be well. If you're unpopular, you're rocking it, and if you are popular, yeah. you you've been sucked in. Yeah, and so it's probably a, a turn of phrase, right? Like, and and once again, it's gonna it's gonna go back to Bible for me because, like, I will say um, there is a there is a right thing to do to coalesce with the way that God has created this world to work, and the Bible tells me what those things are. And so whether they are popular or not, we will do those things. And in some situations, they're very popular, right? Like, uh, obviously, God's view on humanity is full of grace and patience and uh, forgiveness and, and turning the other cheek, right? And, like, giving when, when, and praying for your enemies. All these things are, are popular at its base because it's a love for humanity more than a love for self. And people go, yes, that would be great. They can agree to it as a thought that that would be fantastic. But that same type of uh, reaction from people will go south if, say, they want to hate another group of people and you do not, or they want to hate a guy and you do not, or they want to gain from those people and you don't want to participate in it. Yeah. So, so it's a. Fe- I think it's a fealty question. Um, if the truth, if the truth, God's truth, God's uh, spoken word, truth shared um, and with the heart of God and character of God is popular, then awesome. If it's not, not my problem either. <laughs> like it's it's just really it's a non um, it's a non distinction. I don't need to be I don't need to care one way or the other whether I'm popular or not. The question is is am I walking faithfully um, with where God has, has has told us to walk and faithfully in the character and how we think about and see the world around us. And if those two things are true, it's just irrelevant. It's not. It's not a measure of one way or the other. It just. It just doesn't bear any particular relevance. It's why your Sunday morning gatherings are refreshing, right? Like you're ground a, a community of people where Jesus is popular. 
the things that he's saying is are popular, and even when you're against them or you don't agree with them or you're struggling to to, to follow them correctly, there's a group of people that believe yes. Jesus is popular. He knows what he's talking about, and all those ideas are well supported here, you know. And then, and then you have to go back out in the world where maybe that is not true, you know. Maybe the things that that Jesus believes are having patience, where where there's a there's a mob of people at your workplace that just want to be mad at your boss, and and you're like, I don't know, man. Maybe we should give them the benefit of the doubt, or maybe you know whatever. That's not a popular opinion. People just want you to join them in being mad at this guy, you know. Yep. And so, yeah, yeah, I I believe that you're right. It's not inherent popular or unpopular it's there is a right and there and i shouldn't say right i should say there is following the design right and what how how god designed the world to work before it was broken right he designs it to work in a a perfect way of which he saw uh before he made it and and the more you can get on board with that it really doesn't matter if it's popular or not I i think that to um the i think what he's getting at is when you are putting things through the filter of people are really going to love this, so we're going to do this, mm-hmm. uh, or we're going to we're going to have uh, shareable tweets. You know, if we tweet this out, people will love it and like it and share it or, or whatever. Whatever the the social media you're, you're using, you will maybe do things differently than if you were just putting it through the filter of scripture. Yes, right. You, you know, uh, you know, Jesus said, "Pick up your cross." Well, that's ah, you know, how about uh, love? Let's just love people. You know, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I love people too, but but I'm just saying that if it bends your message, so you're not doing the whole truth, but only part of the truth, you you you're not discipling properly. Am, am I filtering this correctly? Like, it's discipleship, right? We're talking about. Um, uh, yes. He. Well, see here, Dito. Or maybe I just. No, just, I think you're right. It's difficult to entangle our view of Jesus from the Americanized identity, an identity measured mostly. What does it mean for us to be cross-centered and follow the crucified Jesus in context? What are the distinctions between the world's yeah world discipleship and Jesus's discipleship? Yeah, yeah. So, so like the ch- churches were jumping the last summer on the the Black Lives Matter. And yep. We're gonna talk really talk that up, whether they knew it, it really was or not. You, you know, and I'm not even talking about that as a topic. I'm just saying that the churches will jump on something if it's becoming popular. They'll like I'm gonna be cool too, like that one and that church and that church and and rather than just saying hey we're just doing what God's called us to do. Yep. Um, to say something like, well, all lives matter is like, whoa, you can't do that. You, you know, it becomes angry and unpopular. And, and But but literally all lives do matter to Jesus. I mean. Right. It allows, it allows the social narrative and the popularity of what you're saying um, to otherwise drive the, the actual thing that you're saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think I think. The, and, and the problem with popularity, it's popular for a reason. People like it because <laughs> things that are popular affirm affirm you. Right, yeah, right, and, yeah, and and it's it's true, and it's a danger for the church. It's a danger for your teaching. It's a danger for the way that you run your youth. Right, but like, um, when you stop at the love, which I think is absolutely needed, of course, right? Like because that's what God did. Like ultimately, that's what God does. Um, but if you let it stop at your organization or even internally with yourself, right? Like uh, I was th- I was running through this a couple weeks ago. I was trying to think what the difference between. Um, like the, the, the way that they teach even, even my kids in school is like that, that you're enough, that you're enough, who Uh you are is enough. And the truth of the matter is, is like, it sounds terrible, but like you're enough because God says you're enough. You're enough because God created you to be enough. Right. But if you let the affirmation stop with you, then you could do no wrong. And so how popular are you? How popular is that message with you? If there, if I can't do anything wrong, I find that very popular. Everyone's going to love that. 
right? It makes everybody feel great about themselves that they can't screw anything up. And like, I've lived with myself long enough to know that is a lie. That is a bold place, just a beast of a lie. I've screwed up all kinds of things. I do do things wrong. And so like, I think it's the popularity is deceiving people into believing, you know, that like on your own, you're, you're, you're just fine. And the truth of the matter is you are just fine because God designed you to be fine. And he says you're enough because the price that he paid for you to be enough. And like without that proper perspective, then it's a real popular message to say you're good. Everything you yeah. do is good, right? And like, and it leads to a bunch of ramrod. And it's, once again, it's very popular. It's a popular thing to say. Yeah, and, and so that goes back to how would we know the difference here uh, between <coughs> if we fall in this trap versus um, what what Jesus is doing? Um, is is Jesus? Uh, we, and it's, there's an irony in here because uh, Christianity uh, was the fastest growing, largest has been the largest religion for ever since Jesus dies on the cross or within, you know, two to 300 years. Um, but like, uh, he, he wasn't after, like the, he had crowds following him and he was saying things which they knew they would turn away. Yeah. And, and even things that like, they even slightly misunderstood and he knew that and he let it go. And he's like, no, no, no. He didn't like chase him down and go, no, you misunderstand the blood thing that I was talking about. You're just, you're missing. He did. He didn't do that either. Like if, if they, they weren't going to stay and hear him out, then he's, he's not going to bother chasing them. And so, um, there, it, it's, it is a, um, I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword in that it relieves pastors and disciple makers of a very large burden is, is not necessary, um, for you to plot and see what will work. I, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, um, well-intentioned behavior from churches, pastors, disciple makers, other followers of Jesus is to like, well, what are the, what's the right way to get these people to latch onto our message? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I yeah. reach? Like, anytime you start, um, I, this is going to sound harsh, and I don't mean it that way, but I just want I just want to think about it in, in, in these terms for a minute. How do we reach X? How do we reach the young people? How do we reach the old people? How do we reach uh, the, the people of color? How do we reach the Native Americans? You know, how do we reach the white people? Like, like whatever it is that you're thinking of. Uh, and, and, like, as if we've got to have a, a bunch of different strategies that cater to different people. And, like, I know there's all kinds of churches that have, like, w- what you would call successful ministries for buckets of folks. And so I'm not going to haggle over whether uh, those are working or not. You have people who are close to that stuff. You're going to have to judge that for yourself. But here's what I'm telling you. The first answer to every one of those questions is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, like, I, I think when we chase— when we chase people's proclivities to try to, um, as if that is the first, the first of the priorities as a, as a means to otherwise say, now can I let them hear good news? I think we do them a disservice. Mm-hmm. Jesus, if, if, I teach, if I teach the Bible, if I teach Scripture and I follow Jesus faithfully and I teach his example to people, he didn't. He didn't come back a second time. He didn't come back like 200 A.D. and go, all right, that was for the Middle Easterners. You're going to run into problem with the, with the pan-Europeans. And so check this out. I'm going to walk the earth again. Here's what I'm going to do. And my, my, I got some different loafers on, and they're going to take it in great. Um, that he didn't do that. So I have to trust that this, <laughs> this broad story of good news of uh, the, the sinfulness of man is universal, the graciousness of God is universal. Mm-hmm. The good news of Jesus Christ is universal, and how do I know that? Because I'm a pan-European white guy sitting here talking about a Middle Eastern dude. 
Uh, and I and there's nothing about that context that I'm having trouble applying to my life to understand exactly where it fits. Yeah. Okay, so it, the the good news works everywhere, and so I think it alleviates us not of consideration of who you're talking to, because I think you do need to recognize how different people will receive it differently and will ask ask different questions in regards to it. Um, but 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 like I I don't think we are have we have to psychologize or culturalize. Um, or any of our eyes, I think the good news can carry the work here. Mm-hmm. The Bible's translated the same. Not like some of the, so again, some of the words, because we don't have words for certain things in certain languages, like it'll be a little different, but like we're not telling completely different stories here. No, I mean, there is good, there is good space for like, I mean, good solid Bible teaching where you explain the culture at the time to have it make sense, you know, to a culture that doesn't know anything yes. about that, right? Yep. That makes perfect sense. And 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 also just to, just to clarify something that Ben said, I, I, I'm, I'm 100% certain that he's not saying that you should not, uh, you know, spend time developing, say, a recovery ministry for people that are afflicted in, in certain ways. I think we're talking about looking at people differently yes. as if how you're presenting the gospel to them to cater it to them when, when Jesus, did, That's right. Jesus did not do that. Yeah, like, okay, so like the, and one of the core things would be, hey, how can we, how, how can we make this thing more, more hip mm-hmm. for right. the 16-year-olds? I'm like, friggin', this is the hippest thing that ever happened. <laughs> Well, and honestly, when when you're trying to, to be popular, what you're doing is you're focusing it on the local congregation, that particular brand, mm-hmm. you know, or the pastor, and you're focusing away from Jesus. So that's that's where the issue happens. Yeah. You're making a disciple of, of a particular church, and and we want our pride in the church and our pride in this brand and this logo. We're gonna wear the t-shirts and have the cups and yada yada. And uh, we're missing the mark of discipleship. Not, not that you can't do those things or yeah, have right. those things, but but if that's the focus, you're teaching people to love your church more than love Jesus, and right. then that's when the storms come; they they fall. And you're talking. I mean, we're talking about three guys in the room that couldn't love uh, God's church more. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like I mean, we spend our lives here, and and we're well aware of the dangers that you. I mean, as, like as we were talking about this before the show too. Right, no church gets set up and goes. I can't wait to focus solely on our organization within the next ten years. Right, right? right. when they fire up, they're like, "We've got to tell people about Jesus." And somehow, you just get on, you get on cruise control here, and then you're you're accidentally pointing people to the church. Well, then you have like a building to pay for, and yeah. and, and you got to make sure people stay because now you got yeah you, know, you have a building. Now you got to pay for the building, and you got to attract more people. So so you got to be more popular, and you right. know it, it can become uh, it can, and it can't. And like these are all they're all mitigated risks and they're all risks that actually are addressed by the holy spirit right it's not a thing i mean you have to do your like god has has set up the world to be uh co-run by his creation and and it's we have to take our part in it you know but there are risks risks in 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 the way that churches run and like the thing that i've probably seen more often in the last 10 years than i've seen uh my whole life is that like um even with the best intentions we always think the church is the is, is the buck. The buck stops at the church, mm-hmm. and like the church has always got to be pointing to Jesus. That's all. That's all we can do, right? Because I mean, once again, we're going to let people down. Where us as the church is going to let people down. Me as a human is going to let people down. Jesus is the only one that's not. And so, like anywhere else, is just slightly misguided. Yeah, and I, I think that that goes to what I was thinking um, when Dan was making his point, which is to the extent that you make disciples of a church or even of a pastor and you know those structures are not Jesus himself, they will let you down. And that's how people can go through some sort of church scandal and lose their relationship with Christ. And you're like, well, how the heck? How the heck is this happening? Jesus didn't do this. 
These are fallible humans following Jesus who failed, but it's because some of that discipleship is tied up in the organization itself or even um, uh, the, the popularity of the pastor, and like their faith was hinged upon that, the infrastructure working, and on the pastor himself doing a good job. And so like, um, it's, it's, we should be able to weather the storms of sin, whether that be in our personal lives or in our corporate communities, um, because of our relationship with Jesus, and and th- again, it's it's just a it's just a risk that masquerades as as effectiveness, which is why it's worth saying out loud. It's like it's just uh, it goes back to that prayer conversation we were having last uh, last week. Is that well intentioned, faithful people can can still have this happen, um, just for 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 the uh, with the right intent. I want it, I, I don't want people to be turned off by what we're saying. So maybe we don't teach this thing up front. Uh, you know, maybe you don't target this message at this time because I don't want. I want people to come back and then come back and then come back and like then you're always going to be chasing them like n- to not leave. Like if I got them here with something that's a little bit softer, and I don't mean not the the gospel is good news. So I mean I want the harshest good news I can have. <laughs> but like mm-hmm. I just. Um, <clears throat> I, I ju- it's just a risk we run, and we don't often do it intentionally. We're just we're sensitive. We're sensitive to people around us in a good way. Um, with and, and it, it goes. It, there's just an enablement there, and we see this as we treat like even people who are struggling. Uh, the, the recovery stuff's a good example. Um, like sometimes people need to hear really, really true, but hard things, but very clear. Um, and they may need to hear it ten times, and they may need to that to know that the eleventh time it still didn't change. Um, because they have to deal with the reality kind of as it sits there. And um, we're not doing them a service by otherwise avoiding things like that. And I actually think this is happening far less than than people talk about. Yeah. I, 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 think, I mean, I think people are. I think people will duck this a bit. And I, I think there's some very large churches who just don't do this as a practice. Like their whole, their whole mindset is um, let's give them a place to go where they can't, don't feel comfortable going anywhere else. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I think there's a lot of risks in there, risks that I personally feel like I won't, I can't take. Um, I, but God, I think God has done great things through some of those things. So, like, even in the midst of that, I think God, God Himself, will do good. But like, I think in general, we have to be confident. If I trust that the good news does great things, um, then by goodness, we have to speak it. Um, and, and why would I deprive anybody of that? And 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 good news is even things like, yes, you know what, guilt is kind of a thing. And it's God knocking on your heart saying, hey, maybe you should you should turn from this. And I think we should be thankful for that. And repentance is a good thing because there's freedom in it. And so, like, which one of those things that Jesus said was good am I making the human decision to deprive somebody of? From, for what? So that they like me? Boy, I, I, I would hate that they like me and miss out on God's mercy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? And so, like, I think that's where we can miss it. And it's, it's as simple as not caring about your popularity, but it's as difficult as that, too. Which is and it is a hard thing because not just oh I don't care I'm I'm willing to be an uh, an off the books dude uh, who r- burns my own path well great but like don't don't you have a perception at all when no one's listening and don't you at the core of your heart want people to listen so like it should matter you should feel it you should know when you're unpopular and it should grieve you when while well, you're unpopular because it's true not because you sh- it's not that you don't care that you're unpopular it's that you know to react in grief. <laughs> I think that's probably the key. If it's just like, oh, I don't care what people think. Well, that's silly because you care about people. And if they don't think anything about the good news that you're sharing, you, that you should grieve that. And so, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take what I said back. I don't mean that you don't care. I mean that you know to grieve about it as opposed to changing what you're doing.
mm. and saying true things. Okay. Uh, next one. See, I th- I these all seem like the same to me. The next one was the temptation of worldly greatness. Or Jesus po- or is, popularity. Yeah, doesn't that seem the same thing? Yeah, it seems, seems pretty okay, similar. We're going to skip that one. Third, the temptation of success. That seems like the same. Seems like greatness. <laughs> how, many, how many did we have? Four? Okay, so you have to know that you're pretty prideful when you could subcategorize it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, There's levels to my pride, and I like to put them in the popular, successful bucket. <laughs> People love me because I'm successful. <laughs> what, hold on, I'm going to read success just to see if he makes some distinctions that we're uh, missing here. Um Striving for success may be the world's most universal quest, but success is a counterfeit faith with the power to separate us from Jesus. We live in a culture where bigger is always better, bigger profits, bigger influence, bigger impact. The church tends to believe the same. We measure effectiveness by the numbers, and bigger is always better. I mean, if it's if you're reaching Jesus and it's bigger, that is good. I don't. I mean, no deny I mean, such they, a thing. they gave a big number at Pentecost, right? I mean, it was, <laughs> it was there for the wow, <laughs> you know, like how many people? Holy cow! What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if our numbers are increasing, we feel great, consider our efforts as blessed and our intentions as righteous. If our numbers decrease, we feel despondent and regard our efforts as failures. Now here, that is totally human. I'm to- I like I totally get this. It's different when you're talking to a room of five people or 500 and you're you, in the 500, your voice is loud and it's landing on the group and it feels like they're soaking it in. Yeah. When you're talking to the five in a living room, two of them are picking their nose <laughs> and like, boy, I just I feel like I was way more successful with the other one. Like, I, it's totally human. I, I think the thing to think about here and this is true for discipleship too. Like you got ten guys. <laughs> never mind. I was going to compare it to dating ladies, and that's just wrong. Good. But um, <laughs> uh, when you got ten folks that you're dealing with, it feels like you're making more progress simply because you're burning hours doing it. I had ten breakfasts this week. I don't even know how that happens, dude. You ate twice in one day, uh, and it feels like you're accomplishing something. It's, it's, and not this one irritating dude who you met just you and him week after week after week after week, and you felt like it wasn't doing anything. Like. Busyness and high numbers are the illusion of success. It could actually be success, but it's not really a good indicator. That's the number of people you you might be spending time on, but how much time you spend isn't even a good indicator of where things are going. Um, this is where like God's God's providence and God's direction for the world uh, should allow us to be able to think: if my only job is to pour into my family, and that was it. For some reason, God is just not tapping me for anything else. That's holy and righteous. I think that's not likely. The, just that but it's possible um and there's other guys who i mean like millions of people will come to know jesus christ through the work that this person is doing that's also holy and righteous um like god god, god does work local with folks in that way yeah maybe the flip side uh, of this is not allowing yourself to get down on yourself if you're not whatever those numbers are yeah. that you consider successful right y- you know because if you don't have Pentecost numbers, you're like, well, I guess I'm not a Pentecost guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, look at Jeremiah. I don't know how that guy got out of bed in the morning. Right, Ain't right. Nobody listening to a word this guy's saying, you know, and he's keep having at it. Yeah. Right. What was it? At the end of the day, one one guy, one guy listened to Jeremiah. That was it. <laughs> and I, I mean, he talked to thousands, like so much that they were hosed at him and they put him in that well. You right. know, like. He, they were listening. <laughs> they, just, they just didn't like Not it. responding. Like, well. And, and I suppose in a, in a real practical way, like like it, it really does go back to your faith in God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit, right? If the Holy Spirit told you, like it's it's, it's just the way that God does things, and, he, and, and, and he's doing this because for God reasons that I don't know. But like he could say when I'm 22 and go, Mike, legitimately, I have one person you're after, and they're going to show up when you're about 45. 
So I need you to live your life and follow me and talk to everybody you meet. But the one that's actually going to fruit is, is when you're about 45. And if I'd have known that, I'd have phoned this thing in for 25 years, right? <laughs> to my own detriment, right? Yeah. And to not God's glory. Well, and then we don't know, you know, when you look at the scripture, some sow, some harvest, you, you know, we don't know when we're part of the picture. We're just watering something that someone else is going to harvest later. You know, we're still doing production. We're still productively making disciples just at a different place that we don't see the, the fruit of, you know, so it's still legit. Um, well, it's kind of funny that God, I mean, you almost seem like a, like a dumb video game worker. Yeah, but like, that's Mike the Waterer. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, we've been putting plastic plants in there the last three years. He doesn't even know. But he's out there smiling, watering away, you know. And so I, I think that's the thing is like it really is, uh, you know, when we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus and and trusting the Holy Spirit and, and, and you know, ears to hear, eyes to see, that's God's job, right? You really have to believe that if you're going to long stay this thing, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not every day, and every day is not going to be, like these amazing conversions and dudes on the street are like, hey, man, you smell like Jesus. You want to baptize me in the sewer over there? We're like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, like it, it just doesn't happen. There might, it might happen like once, you know, but like it's yeah. not going to be your every day here, you know. And so like you, we talk about trusting Jesus with stuff. It, it can't be a results-based uh, operation. Yeah. Now, I think, I think once again, when you trust Jesus with this stuff, I, you're going to feel his presence in your life. You're going to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit you know, reacting within you and within your personal situations. But, like, if you think you're going to Billy Graham everybody, um, I think you're really underestimating your your power in this thing. You actually have no horse in the race. Mm-hmm. Only God does, right? You're just yeah. the guy that goes, is it time to ride? I'll ride every day, and we'll just maybe one of them, these will turn out. And, and, and that's how we live in faith that God will do uh, his purposes through you, um, through faithful acts. And the Bible does spell that out. All right, uh, I'll finish this uh, success one out. He says, uh, it's essential that we see success rightly. According to Jesus, success is becoming the person God calls you to become and doing what God calls you to do in his way and according to his timetable. We must expose and reject every drive to succeed that compromises our integrity as followers of Jesus. Not every opportunity to expand the work of God is actually an invitation from God. That's, I think that's, that's poignant. Unfortunately, it just points you to something that you know to be true without giving you an answer. Uh, because realistically, you're like, well, okay, how do I know which opportunities are, are the ones that are actually invitations from God? Uh, that's prayer. Uh, that's that's Holy Spirit. That's um, talk of like using your community. Um, the same way you decipher, I think, w- what God is trying to do in your life at any given time. I had I had more than one more than one person I talked to that they were attending churches that during COVID the the numbers went down and the ties went down, and like they're like, we just got to pray that that God straightens this out and that He brings more people or brings in more ties or whatever. And I'm like. You should consider asking God if he wants you to sell the place. They're like, what? I'm like, I, I'm just saying, right? Like, if you're, if you're open to whatever God is doing, it's those kind of barriers where you think that's counterintuitive. When the economy goes bad and we don't have money to keep the place up, we fold. Like, no, you don't fold. But, like, God has the option to fold whatever plan he had started and start a new one. That build, he could have had, he, and listen, isn't, God has lots of money and lots of people. And, 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 a, and a vision for what the whole world is. If he created that whole church, had you put in $3 million, put in all the seats, and one dude he was after got in through there, he could very well shelve the whole place and go, well, that's what I needed. Yep. I need Bill in there. Mm-hmm. And then looks like Bill's gone through. I need you to fold this up. I actually have you something else for you guys to do over here. And you go, sounds great. I'm yeah. on it. Let's yeah. do this thing, you know? And so, like, we do – I think we get caught up on we, – we want the whole plan. We want, yeah. we want what God wants to tell us to do, and we're like, okay – uh, and we don't want to walk by faith. We want to know that faith is available at the end, 
and the course it's going to take to get there. And and God knows humanity well enough that like it's a precious few that get this information, <laughs> you know. Like like he just he just knows better. And like I've been caught in this myself, where I'm like, God, I know this thing is killing me and it's eating me from the inside. But if you fix it, I will drift. I know that. Mm-hmm. I know that that if I if if you take away this dependence that I have on you right now and fix this situation, I will drift from you, and I don't know what to do. My own sin is stopping you from interacting for my own benefit, and I'm I'm torn. I'm I'm broken because of the thing that that I'm involved in, you know. And like, I I think God will wait me out, and God will say yes, yes, this is exactly what I'm doing, and I'll keep it up too because I'm not willing to lose you over something stupid. And so I think it's one of those things where we think we know what God is going to do and, and, and we don't want to sell the church building. We don't want to pack it up. We don't want to start taking a checkout position at the local gas station because we're like, I know God's already got me doing this thing. Well, I mean, you got to ask him. You should ask him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, um, I, I'm trying to decide whether this is a shallow example or not, but like we had, uh, my wife and I and my family moved last, uh, almost a year ago, it was in July. Um, and the mechanisms of us moving um, like it made it made the prayer table. I'll put it that way. It made the altar. Like I felt um, we, we had written these things down and said, "Boy, like we've been praying about moving, but hadn't we? we in fact, we'd even given up on on moving. Um, we just weren't finding the right place, and we didn't. We got comfortable. We'll just stay at our house. We think this will be fine. And then like there were a series of things that occurred where we found like my wife had 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 a, a vision's not right, but like had had like a scene of what our land would look like in the place that we wanted to live and she'd kind of sketched it out and this had been like I don't know a year and a half two years ago or something um anyway grand scheme of things three or four things come in and and it just felt like God had had found us a place to to move um and and when we went to go look at the land it looked just like it was super close it was almost exactly like this thing that my wife had drawn like we're supposed to move here like we're supposed to do it and it made the, the he made the money work out um we were able to sell our house to uh to, to Nathaniel uh, who's been in it. like him and his wife were, were contemplating moving um, and and we were able to, to like sell our house to them and it was dead easy right because we like we could do handle it ourselves because we didn't have to go through the process of um, going through realtors and stuff and like it was a sign for them because they wouldn't know where they were supposed to do and he just got like a job offer from Bondurant after he already turned the notifications off for job offers the previous day like it was just it was all there's all stuff in there so anyway the, the reason I'm telling this story is because my wife and I were talking about this a few weeks or uh, just a few days ago um, is that we, we just been talking about our house and um, trying to figure out whether we're supposed to stay here. Like, is this really the place that we're supposed to stay long term? And my wife was like, but 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 God showed us this. Like he he made sure we saw the thing. We saw the land and we said, this is exactly what we're supposed to do. And like one of the things we were talking about was, yes, I think that was true at that moment. Um, but I don't have any there's no guarantee that God said, here, I want you to go here and I'm going to put you there forever. Like, I don't know that that's the case. We very well could be. Maybe it makes sense for us to move. Maybe this whole thing wasn't about us at all. It was about um, the, Nathaniel and his family. And we just, he needed a means to get us out of the way. And he knew that we wouldn't spend the money that we were, that they were asking for that property if we didn't see it through the means that we did. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, the point wasn't, like, uh, I mean, maybe we stay in this house, maybe we don't. We're gonna keep, we'll keep praying on We're going to keep looking. Uh, maybe God doesn't care. I'm, I'm open to any one of those particular options. But like, I think to, to, to what Mike was saying is that there's this notion of um, God, God has, has stepped into creation and continues to use it for his means. Um, and not everything where I can, I am confident that God has shown himself and, and done something means that the rest of my life 
only existed in as a, in a relationship to that moment. Because God may very well say, yeah, I needed you to move. I, there's, I got 10 other things going on that I orchestrated, and I just needed you out of that house. And you weren't going to buy it if you didn't see that land that your wife sketched. And so, yeah, I got that in. Now, I got other stuff for you to do. That You don't live here permanently. But, like, as humans, we go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. God told me to move here. I must be that's here right. forever. We're the center of every story. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. And so, and that's that's even true with, like, why would God— uh, why would God allow us to um, buy a place and put a bunch of stuff in it and get a bunch of people through there and we've been baptizing and like things keep going super well like uh, why would he have us give this up I'm like well I don't know why I gave it to you in the first place you're a bunch of respons- irresponsible animals right like through his blessing it was there he's not likely to just yank it but like it's it's really more of a question of anything and let's get off let's get off like churches in, in general and just talk about people it's what do you have on the table are we is there any time where you're not, where you're dissatisfied with God going, great, thank you for being faithful in this thing. Now I want you to do this. God is completely, it seems different from what you told me in step one. Yeah, sure is. Absolutely. Because like what I'm evaluating God's direction for my life on is what I logically thought of. That seems like a really poor basis of which to go about something. Mm. Um, and and this, doesn't, this doesn't prescribe God is, is a God of, of, of order. And so, and, and a lot of the, the expressions that we're seeing within churches and individual lives are people following faithfully, right? So it's not like God just going around going, let's see if he's faithful in this rug out from underneath. But like, don't let it keep you from, don't let being part of something God promised or God fulfilled <clears throat> get you too boxed in as a human um, with, with not being open to God doing something else, doing a new thing. There, I used a biblical way of saying about it so you feel like you have to do it. Yeah. Okay, number four. Uh, something that might be happening if you have an Americanized Jesus and not the real one. The You avoid the temptation, uh, oh, the temptation to avoid suffering and failure. Imagine Peter, unbroken by his humiliating failures, leading the church after Pentecost from a place of smugness and unteachability. Imagine Paul with all his gifting, drive, and intellect without his immovable thorn in the flesh to keep him humble and focused on Christ. Imagine Moses without 40 years in exile in Midian after murdering an Egyptian. Suffering and failure have always been God's means to transform us from willful to willing, from anxious to patience, from swimming upstream against the current of God's love to floating downstream, trusting him to take care of us. Is that, is that a thing? I mean, it's a thing. I, I, is that, uh, does, that, does that sound like the same problem like the first three are occurring? Are we seeing this a lot where people are like, I'm afraid? Or, or is it more that they think failure is an implication of lack of success? Well, I guess that's what failure means. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, what is the oh, – Dan, are, let me ask you directly. Are, do, are you tempted to avoid suffering and failure? Uh, I want to say no. could be a blind spot, but I would say no. Yeah. I don't uh, – uh, I mean, I, I wonder if he's, he's making a point. And it's a, these examples are kind of odd because, right, like, um, uh, Peter wasn't trying to avoid suffering and failure. He just took the he took the world in wrong, backed the wrong horse, and then acted like a ninny. Yeah, like I, I, let me ask you this though: When's the last time you preached to a hostile room? You know, we're we're like that. Like, let's say it, it wasn't even fifty fifty. It's forty percent people who are, who know Jesus already, and sixty percent that are not going to take in what you're saying very well. Mm. I I uh, I don't know that I have. I think everybody's been. I mean, so in church settings, they came to church. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I and, always know there's one guy 
like uh, I, I know uh, you, I know who in the crowd is hostile to me. I tell you, I mean, I've, I've, Dan, I assume you know that. Like, yeah, you yeah. just know people who don't take you in right. Uh, and I always look for it was a dude, and uh, he just didn't think much of me. He probably still doesn't. And like, he's hostile <laughs> to me. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I've, I've done funerals where the crowds are obviously not Jesus people, right? And I talk Jesus, right? Um, like, I think you know that this biker funeral I did. There was a thousand bikers there, and and. Uh, they were not Jesus people, right? Mm. And there could have been some, but but it was not the. Uh, yeah, certainly wasn't overwhelming. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. I mean, I I think uh, uh, I mean obviously Paul's the best example here, right? Like that dude will just roll into just about anywhere yeah. and say the most rambunctious thing, you know, like look, uh, we're gonna have to lose your your way of living here, right? You got to stop making the idols. These got to go. And like I feed my family. With these. I mean, he has to know that this is gonna be taken in poorly. And he rolls it out, and maybe that's a pop that goes back to the popularity thing or whatever. But like, I, I was just thinking about it. I was, uh, I've it's been a long time since I've taught Jesus in a room for people that didn't already know who Jesus was. Yeah, yeah. you know. And so uh, maybe maybe we're a little afraid of that. You know, uh, maybe we're afraid of like, I, I mean, people might straight up not like you. Man, it's back to the popularity thing again. I guess I don't know what the the suffering part. We don't. It, it's not much of a tune here, right? That banjo don't play in Western society very well. And so it's not like people are actually going to physically hurt me. You know, they're just going to not, they just don't like me or don't want to hang around with me or think that I'm an idiot. And, and like, these are all acceptable risks. Um, but like the, the, the actual suffering part, the biblical suffering, um, I, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I uncare, I, I shouldn't discard emotional uh, woundedness or suffering. I yeah. just tend to, right? Like it just seems like if, 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 if I got a free trip to the well all the time, then I can take on, suffering in that way well uh, so here's yeah this is kind of like the first three let me read this next paragraph and see if it clarifies it all uh for jesus to rise from dead in glory he first had to resist the temptation to earthly glory by refusing to deploy his power and come down from the cross i think there's stretching scripture to make a, a different point here um there's uh the, the common errors in the church is wrong scripture to make the right point or Right scripture, and you you made the wrong point out of it. <laughs> um, to suffer and fail so colossally on Calvary proved to be the greatest victory. But like, it, Jesus knew it wasn't a failure. Yeah, yeah. That's like whoops. Yeah, like I there's mean, no, it wasn't the, a whoops. Yeah, someone like someone. The world might have thought it was a failure, but this goes back to items one through three. Okay. Is like I just don't agree to someone else's perspective. Like if I know. Uh, if, if you could, uh, you could have uh, uh, bedded ten ladies. Uh, before you got married and you chose not to, even with the opportunity, the world might go, hey, man, failure. And I might go, Potiphar, total success. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I don't go, boy, I had to go, had to go through some failures because it wasn't a failure. It was a success. I, we're just using the right definition. And so I, I, don't, I don't care for the examples, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, what's, what's a broad sweeping point here? He's basically saying that, like, God gets to dictate uh, how his world is designed and how we talk about him, and he's given us more than enough ammo to do both. And and the temptation is is to uh, take God's message and make it more palatable, or leave some parts out, or you know try to act like uh, their justice is not something that God is interested in. Um, and and that's the big t- temptation, right? Yeah, I, I think. And if you, here's a, here's his last part, uh, he says, "For me, I seek to save myself whenever I set down my cross to avoid failure." When I launch initiatives out of impatience, when I make hasty decisions, those are both the same, and when I frantically overwork out of fear, my ministry might decline or stagnate. And so I think this actually still does, ultimately his point is the same as it was in one through three, which is 
I'm measuring what is success, not in my faithfulness, um, but in the either people not liking it or the repercussions of people not liking it. Right? Like your ministry declines and stagnates because people don't like it. Or, or you stink at it, I guess. That could be true. But like in general, I, th- these all seem to be the same, same thing. And I'm not even sure this is related to the Americanization of anything. I feel like this guy just has a – he's worried about people being shooting for popularity. Because these are all essentially the same problem. And I don't even – I don't think that's an American problem. It's a human problem to want to be popular. Uh, and I think it's different in America. And then you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, as I think about some past, like, in in, in certain there's there's certain places where pastors are just straight up like persecuted. But there's other places which pastors are idolized for being pastors, not because they're like, not because they're like bending to what the people want to hear. It's because they're men of God. Like, and it puts them, frankly, also in a rough situation that they probably shouldn't be in. And so, like. I think just in context, Western culture, America specifically struggles with this or pastors struggle with this because we're not implicitly idolized. Like you're, right. no one's going like, oh, you're a pastor? Oh, man, that's great. Revered man of God. Like even reverence seems overdone. Like yeah. we can't, you can't even get away with that with people thinking you're pretentious. And so um, the only thing you can do is then if, they're not, if they don't care about the, the title you have or the role you have um, is you tickle them a bit. Um, by by catering it to them, and that's why it's that's why it seems American. But I think it's just more prone because of that in America. I think it's true everywhere that has this this risk. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't follow popularity. Yeah. That was that was the article. Yeah, yeah. We could have got that down to a sentence or two. Yeah. What I know, he wrote a book about. Holy cats! Boy. This article is adapted from emotionally healthy discipleship. But dang it, you know what? This goes by our point from last week. This is way. These books are way overdone. Seriously, get an editor that chops this stuff down. These, you know, three three things in a list of which one is actually unique. Four four points within a broad article of which one is unique. I, we, I mean, are people impressed by thick books? Because frankly, I see a book that's over hundred pages. I'm like, ah, eh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I want I you know. to distill this down. To, that's uh, right. I mean, if you could get get in and get out in a hundred pages, I'm like, yes, that was refreshing. I'm gonna pass it on to somebody else. We're good to go. I don't want to feel like I'm involved in like the the, the forty years in the desert operation. I want to get in. I want to read what you have to say, and I go, yeah. You know what? That's a great perspective. I'm moving on. Here we go. I'm sure there's a price point situation. So many pages, so much per, you know, where the profit is higher. You know, and that's dumb. Yeah, I think that's dumb. <laughs> Just make the font bigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for the old people. <laughs> uh, oh, so let's go back to the, the real quick to the the question of how did how did Joseph have any? Where does his morality come from? when his existence was pre-Torah. And I think, I'm going to try to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to propose an answer. I, th- I think that the answer for him is the same answer that actually undergirds Torah and, and everything else, which is Joseph somehow had a, a, like understood the character of God. Because, and he even says this. I don't know if you remember like when they, I don't remember what his situation was. Maybe it was during Potiphar's thing or maybe it was some, some other time. Um, but like they, basically they, they were asking him, why didn't you do blah, blah, blah. And he's like, how could I violate, how could I act outside of the character of my God? And so, so some form or another, or probably orally passed down, um, what they, what they didn't remember was that the, the law was God's gift to try to codify. This is what my character looks like expressed through fallible humanity. 
um, it was, and that's in that way we should think of it as a gift. But the notion of his of people understanding God's character and having stories about Yahweh kind of passed down through people so that his character could be known, um, I think that makes sense to me. That Joseph, and and that's what he references is that that he is aware of the character of God and does not wish to act outside of it. Yeah, I mean, do you think that is available to us today? Yes. Yes, and I think it's um, I, we get it we get it from scripture, um, but like just because the the Torah didn't exist or it wasn't written down, I mean, people certainly talked about it. Like that's why if think think of the stories, even all the Genesis stories up to Joseph, like they're good they're good stories that people can remember, right? right? Like like six year olds can tell you the story of Noah and the flood, um, and 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 walk away with a broad point of it, and so like. Um, they're not even the way that we write things doesn't always get the essence of a story that otherwise communicates to you God's character. What do I know from the Noah story? I know that God hates unrighteousness, and that when people were treating each other the way they were and giving themselves up to lust or other worship, like that was outside of his character. And so, like Joseph can can know that is knowable. What was going on over there, Mike? Something's foul. Keep 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 rolling. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that I think that makes sense to me. Is that uh, God's God was re- has revealed Himself to His people? Um, they shared that what was still the good news to them, and they shared it as they went along. So even if the law wasn't there yet, um, His character can be known. And I think Paul kind of Paul Paul kind of references this. It's more about the that there was a Creator, but even that there's a sense of that something is above you, and that the. Um, some of it is written on you. Like you are able to, you recognize when things are morally not going well. You just ignore it because you don't have anything that you're tying it to. But like, right? I, I think I think that makes sense to me. It, it does me. I mean, it wasn't that long into history where these things happened. Yeah. That I mean, that many generations. I mean, where it, it wouldn't have been that difficult to pass the pass it down i mean there was a time when, when you know adam and eve walked with god in the garden you know and yeah and, and who knows the stories that they had that they passed on to their children passed to their children and so forth um yeah so th- yeah but but i mean there's just the the, the general character of, of joseph is so impressive i mean there, there's some detail in there i mean potiphar's wife went after him multiple times it wasn't like yep. a one-time situation right she was trying to wear him down and I, I know people, you know, find Christian people who'd be wore down like after the second time. Yeah, right. Know? I mean, you know, it's like what, what, how have we, how much more we have to access the, the desires and character and will of God than they had, and we're like losers. I mean, what, what, what's the deal with that? Right, right. There's just no notion of, um, no notion of self control there. Or yeah. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and maybe there's maybe there's a sense of um, we've gotten away from um, uh, the <laughs> the the core desire to align ourselves with the character of God. Yeah, uh, hey, maybe. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, go ahead. I was saying it just kind of thought to me uh, occurred to me like the great storytellers of our generation is Hollywood, mm-hmm. and that their story is not the story of God. That's right. So. Because I'm thinking like, okay, the average teenager out there or whatever, average person who doesn't know anything about Jesus, Potiphar's wife comes up there like, all right. What a deal. Yeah, cool. I can't believe it. Let, let, let me yeah. take a selfie. You know, I mean, you know. Right. I, I, and it's like, they've heard the other story, masterfully told right. over who's, and over again through their whole life. Who's telling our stories? That's right. Uh, That's right. Mm. Disney Plus, Mike. 
They have all the Marvel movies, which I enjoy. <laughs> I, I don't get those, channel. Uh Okay. All right. I think that tucks us up. Mike, what do we got for... We got people need some advice today? Yeah, we got a couple. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Dear life from the path. I just got engaged and I could not be happier. But my fiance is referred to by the entire town as the quotes bad guy because <laughs> of his past. Okay. He's changed a lot and I really want this to work out. But people come to me and say he's not marriage material, and they try to make us break up. One of his exes in particular, like <laughs> she would even know. Oh, wow. He told me about his past, and I don't judge him for it because everyone has a past. He really wants to get married. How can we have a wedding without everyone knowing about it, especially our family? Look, I don't think you could put two thoughts together. Yeah, what? that's, that's a weird combination of stuff going on in there. Okay, yeah. we've got to try to parse this out. You just got engaged. And you're super happy. My, my, my fiance is referred to by the entire town as the bad guy. Like, I know this is hard to take in. I'm assuming you're a younger gal. I just, just, just walk with me on this. People don't, people actually love you. You need to take that in, right? People love you and are trying to save you from some harm. And you don't want to hear it. And I get it. Everyone's been there where they're like, I hear what everybody's saying. But I don't know why everyone's trying to break us up and cause us a bunch of they trouble. They don't know them like I do. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The truth is, is that with the facts that they have on hand, they see the investment that you're making in this man as a mistake. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, uh, there's been times where this has been wrong in the past. People have misjudged people. They bring their own crap into the conversation. Like Boo Radley. Like Boo Radley. Boo Radley. We, that was a mistake. Okay, carry on. So, so <laughs> people will do this. But don't discount the fact that they love you and they're trying to give you uh, advice from the perspective that they see. Now, now people can change. That is true. But you need to be a little bit careful on the time frame of which you uh, identify change. Right? Everybody can do better for three weeks. Everybody can probably hold it together on their own steam, maybe even in the month's range. Right? But, like, especially people that have had a past um, and I don't even know what the past is. For a whole town to turn against you, either you live in a very small town or he's done a lot of tornado-type damage. <laughs> but either way, um, people who have truly changed um, from a life that they were living, they will understand your trepidation. They will understand the time frames and go, um, I think that's fair for you to wait this out. And, and I owe it to you uh, to graciously give you the amount of time it makes for you to feel more comfortable um, that I am truly on the path that I say that I'm on. And people who have made mistakes enough and have turned from them are very gracious with things yeah, like that. I would agree. And I, so uh, his I really want to get married pressure, uh, I'd say that's a decent red flag. I don't even know you or the man. And people that, that try to rush a decision like who you're going to spend the rest of your life with, um, that's an unfair position to put you in. Uh, the fact that you want to get married uh, I think is fine. The fact that you want to, to start a family and spend uh, your life with somebody and get that moving, I think that is all well and good. Uh, it's probably not a good reason to throw every bit of common sense out the window. But your actual question was, how can I get married without people knowing? Uh, if it's a small enough town that uh, the guy at the clerk's office is going to rat you out. They're going to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think. I mean, even when we applied for our marriage license, there was like a neighbor of a neighbor working at the clerk's office and told everybody before we even told anybody. And so, uh, and, and we live in a decent sized town. So I, I just don't, I don't know that you're going to be able to pull this off. And frankly, I don't know if you want to start your married life off on no, the sneaky sneak. No, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, 
Yeah, like it's a weird it's a weird question like of of all the things that that are setting this situation up, the like very practical how do I get married on the sly is like a you could saved all the backstory. Yeah, I don't you care should, about it. You should just said how do I get married in secret? Yeah, what yeah. did the yeah. ex really say? Did she really say about the ex like she would know? No, I said that. Okay. I, I that didn't know there. if that was your personal yeah, commentary. Yeah, so he's not marriage material and they try to make us break up. First of all, that's just a real juvenile way of putting that. Like, you trying to make us break up. Like, you in third grade. Yeah. And, and one of his exes is even doing it. And if there's somebody to talk to, I would I would find the exes. Yeah, here's the yeah. thing. I would not assume that just because these, these people broke up that her perspective is not right in some way or another. Mm-hmm. It might be worth having a coffee with her. I was what? looking. I was I was talking to somebody, and they were applying for a job, and I actually knew the guy that was leaving the job. And I said, well, I'm going to call him. Let's see why he's leaving. I think this is great information to have. This is the kind of thing uh, that is probably good to know. And so I, 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 really, I think you should get out of this thing. I don't know if I need any more information. I think it's time to bail. Yeah. Yeah, or uh, I would say at the very least, give it a year. Yeah. Give it a year. If, if, if he has a problem with it a year, then whatever he's the, that got him that reputation isn't gone. Because Mike's right. Like people who are generally or genuinely, excuse me, repentant and recognize when they've caused harm are very patient with people because they because they they look around and go I caused harm and I recognize that that hurt someone and I will not presume upon their grace in any manner and yeah. so we're going to give it time and so yeah he should he should be glad uh to like cuz you're basically here's the thing if you say I'm gonna, let's give it a year you're basically saying uh you that's a that's an affirmative opportunity Hey man, this flows for a year. Then I believe it, and I'm totally in. Like, what a great chance to prove yourself! If you intended to be faithful or keep a straight line in that year anyway, it might as well be as your credit heading into marriage. Right? Yeah, and that right. piece of paper does not change the way that you treat your future spouse. Right, this year before that you're married, there's some activities we're going to ask you to, to abstain from. But other than that, the honoring your spouse and 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 being an advocate for your spouse. Uh, you can start that right Call now. Call it a Jewish engagement. You're basically married. You're just not going through with some of the physical stuff, and uh, let's start with that now. That's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm with that. Uh, okay, Secular says, if the whole town, including your family, thinks that marrying your fiancé is a bad idea, it may be time to hit the pause button. Marriage is something you want to do only once. The chances of it being successful will be better if you don't go rushing off to the altar. Make your engagement long enough that your fiancé has time to prove to your parents and the community that he is a changed man. No one can, quotes, make you break up, but it would be in your interest to listen to those exes, including the one in particular, and compare what each has to say. If the stories they tell are similar, it may be your Mr. Right is the wrong man for you. Would you, if, let's say, you fellas, everybody's in this room been, been married a, uh, a real decent time here. If your wife said, you know, just for a gas, I want to get a hold of any of your old lady friends and just asking some questions. Any of that make you nervous? No. No? Yeah, me neither. No, no. Go ahead. Have right at it. Yeah, you call, you dial them up. I think there's only, notes. <laughs> there's only one bit of this uh, advice that I think I, I I don't know if I love, but like, um, I, I I I this is between you and him, right? So like, um, you know, if if my daughter was dating a, a pretty rough customer, uh, I would bro- I'd be slower on the uptake for forgiveness uh, than probably she would, and so I would put in a little bit of grace to saying I don't need my parents' approval here. I don't need the whole town to forgive the man. Um, and, and we're still talking from a, a, um, a Christ-centered perspective here, right? Like, 
I mean, I would certainly pray on it. I would certainly insist that obviously you guys are attending <laughs> worship somewhere and you know what you're doing all these things, right? But like, ah, you know, if everybody's people get tuned up and they get set in a rut and they're just not going to like a person, and I, I'm okay with you bucking that trend a little bit. Um, it depends on your relationship with your parents and if they love you and they've shown that and if they say hard things to you and even though they love you and they're, they're good parents, then I'd give them a little bit more weight. But, like, I don't need the whole town to forgive this guy. I've had people write other people off for years and they stubbornly won't come out of it uh, even after true repentance has shown up. Here's the deal. When someone does you, when someone does you wrong and they change, by admitting that they've changed, it pulls your ability to continue to be, to tell your sob story about it. Mm-hmm. And so people, um, right, well, wrongly, people, um, people do like to tell their sob stories. They like to say, oh, "Hey, I want this is where I've been wronged." And when the name uh, Brandon Beaverton comes up, they want to tell their Brandon Beaverton story. And so um, to say, "Oh, Brandon Beaverton is a changed mind." Now you look like a. Here's the deal: if if, if Beaverton's a jerk and you tell the story about how he's a jerk, then that's a fun story, and everyone sympathizes with you because they all agree he's a jerk. If he changes his ways, and then you tell the Beaverton's a jerk story, you look like a jerk. Yeah. And so I'm just saying, and it's not just because people like to tell stories, but when, you, when people are harmed by people, they don't generally, it takes them a long time to acknowledge, and sometimes stubbornly they refuse to acknowledge positive change in someone because it causes them to have to give up some of the identity that they got from dealing with the jerk Beaverton. Mm-hmm. And, and so just be careful that like people don't even do that. In te- they're not thinking in their mind, screw <clears throat> Beaverton. What they got in their mind is uh, it almost makes them feel like they're wrong. And no one wants to be wrong. It's why uh, it, it's, it, it's the same thing that happens when like um, uh, you've, you've been in a work situation where like a boss hires a dude and the dude could be a, a, a total waste bin. Okay, he's just he's not good at his job. But for a boss to have the humility to admit that the guy's a waste bin is very difficult. Because if you fire him, you're not only firing him, you're saying, by the way, I did a bad job. I sucked. And that's why a lot of bad behavior continues is because it takes it takes a true character to have have the humility to go, boy, that really I did a bad job on that one. Let's get rid of him. Cut it off. Let me fix it for who it is. I'm going to apologize and let's see if we can straighten it out. People don't tend to do that. And like. They don't like to admit their own mistakes or their reaction to those mistakes. And so then they don't want to admit it. So just know, like, I, it, you could be this bad dude in town, could be groupthink, and no one wants to admit that Beaverton's changed his ways because then they have to stop telling Beaverton stories and don't want to do it. Especially ex-girlfriends. Yeah. I'm just true. saying. Yeah. Ex-wives, same thing. Oh, he'll never change. You know, he might. He might. The question is, can you accept a changed man? Because uh, that's to your detriment now. Now, because like, if the only reason to hold on to a man being crappy is so that you can tell your sob story about how crappy wa- was, that's not healthy for you at all. And so, uh, as much as I like the pause um, and heeding the consistency of bad, bad Beaverton Brown, I mean, people do have a bias, and it it always points to themselves in some way or another. And so, just take that into consideration. Okay, one more. Ready? Yep. Dare life from the path. My husband of 30 years, whom I love dearly, has started singing all the time. I mean, all the time. (laughs) If he's not on the phone or involved in a TV show or conversation, and sometimes when he is, he's singing the same few songs over and over, and not well. (laughs) I don't feel I have a right to ask him to stop. What should I do? How many years was he married? 30. 30. Oh, yeah. Bring it up directly. Yeah. Boy, I don't know what you've been doing the last 30 years, but I feel like my wife would tolerate that for like an hour. Yeah. And then go, that's got to stop right now. Yeah. Hey, you know who sang in the year 2525? 
Yeah. Zegger and Evans. They should keep singing it. Yeah. Not you. <laughs> you shut it down. <laughs> Turn that fan off, bro. <laughs> yeah. It is odd that after 30 years, she is afraid to have a conversation with her husband. Yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, you could look past it and go, I feel like we have some deeper issues. This is kind of a funny ha-ha deal. I don't know what kind of man only picks two songs and rocks them all the time. Um, but I really, I, I mean, I don't know what's stopping you from bringing this thing up. Yeah. Unless I, you know, yeah, I just can't think of one married couple where I think a wife would go, you know, he does sing all the time, but I love him and I'm willing to put up with it. That don't <laughs> sound right at all. That sounds like, hey man, I, I mean, uh, would 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 she do? Would you would do the same thing about your husband's nose hair? Right? Ain't no woman putting up with that longer and say, boy, that's getting out of hand. That one's about ready to get married to your mustache and haul off. You need to do something about that right yeah, now. Right. Why is the singing any different? Hey, you got to shut that down. I, I just can't. T- personally, I don't like it. I can't take it no more. Or learn a new tune. But she didn't say that if he got a new song, that things would be better. I don't think that would make it any better. <laughs> uh, I mean, aren't you curious of what these songs are? I, I, yeah, yeah. I really want to know what they are. Are they happy songs? Are they sad <laughs> songs? <laughs> <laughs> Since the day I was born. Yeah, he's just narrating his life all the time. I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> going to leave the toilet paper empty. <laughs> Here's the deal. I sympathize with this man because, like, I feel like it is just—it's within my personality to like latch on to something, and I'll say that thing or sing that song. Or just have it. I remember I got w- w- my um, my. I have one son, and he's like two, and uh, he he got in this kick for a while where he would just like when he wanted my attention, he'd go he'd go, Dad, Dad, look at this, look at this, look at this, and like it was I was just funny the way he would say it, and so like I caught myself probably for three weeks straight just going around going, look at this. Look at it. and it wasn't even I wasn't even drawing people's attention to it. I was like my my oldest daughter was with me in the store. We was at the Walmart, and I was just like turning an aisle and like not pointing anything out, just saying to myself, "Look at this, look at this," and like I was just it was subconscious. And like I'm I think I'm totally prone to this. I'll use one word or one phrase for like six weeks, yeah, and it's my yeah. phrase, and it's just gone. Yeah. I'll never say it again. Right? It's, it's real talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hashtag real talk. You know where I got that from? That was from the guy that was getting out of Christianity. Yeah, yeah, the Hillsong dude that was leaving. Real talk, I'm yeah. leaving Christianity. I don't care. I started <laughs> saying real talk for like a week, huh. and uh, that was intentional because it seemed like a really irritating thing to say, and so I just started <laughs> saying it. Real talk, we're out of toast. <laughs> uh, but like, uh, I, I totally saw myself in this guy. Like, I would, I could do that, and my wife would be like, "What? Hey, can you?" St-? But she would. She would say, "In fact, I got, I got away with it once," and then she said. Hey, I want you to stop saying real talk. What is that? I hate that. Stop saying that. I said, and I said, real talk. You just real talk me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So our advice to him is just as, uh, to her is uh, talk to him. Yeah. Just talk to him for heaven's sakes. Yeah. I do it in a funny manner. I'm like, look, we can't put up with this no more. I, you know, okay. You know what I would do uh, if this was happening at my house and it was irritating me, I'd start duetting. If my wife was like singing it, uh, uh, she, I would I would jump in. She and I would go, hey la, hey. Like I would sing whatever she's singing and just dance around with her, and then eventually she was like, "I don't want that to happen anymore." (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And I would say, "I didn't want that to happen anymore." Now we're on the same page. (laughs) Yeah, you just say, "Hey, hey, look at this." Yeah, (laughs) look at this. (laughs) Look at this. (laughs) Look at this. Look at this. What do you think of this? Look at this woman on YouTube. I cut that they have on there singing. (laughs) Here's some real talk. That looks like me. Real talk. You on the internet, woman? Quit doing that. That sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) All right. Secular says, tell your husband sweetly it's time to expand his repertoire because his playlist is getting repetitive. Wait, that that she thinks that's the core problem is that it's just the same songs. I know that's what she said, but that's 
I don't. I'm not. I'm guessing that's not really the problem. No, no, it's definitely not. Unless he's like, unless he's the what do they call Mel Torme? The London Fog. What was yeah, it? yeah. Unless he's the London Fog. I mean, uh, no one wants to hear you sing the catalog either. I mean, yeah, he's legit just walking around doing the walk to dinosaur. I mean, every day, all day, you're like, look, man, you got to put this away. No more. <laughs> and, Go inside. Honestly, if it's like it just started happening, uh, maybe a doctor visit, you know? I mean, maybe that's the beginning of something more serious. But I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but let's go with the all eggs and in, in, uh, I think everything covers with. First of all, just give it a week, another few weeks or something. Yeah. Like he'll just get sick of it. It'll go away. Like my look at this, it'll just stop. And then if it's persisting, I like Dan's route. I think it's not a bad idea just to try the old physical, just to make sure something isn't uh, ticking funny. Can you uh, count backwards from a hundred by sevens for uh, you know a while? Yeah, I mean you know. <laughs> and then he starts singing that one. Yeah, let me play the B side. It was not was. And he's gonna <laughs> fire it up. <laughs> he can't count backwards, but he can do that. Something's going on. Okay, is that it? Uh, you want, we can do one more. Okay, yeah. Oh, teen chafes under mom's insistence on attendance at church. Yeah. Oh, nice. Ooh. Okay, this is our alley. If okay, dear life from the path. I'm 15, and my mother makes me go to church every Sunday. Yep. I don't like going. I believe in God, but I feel awkward when people ask me about it. My mother makes everything bad until she gets her way. I have tried talking to her about it, but she doesn't listen to me. I don't know what to do. Go to church? Yeah. Your mom told you. You're 15. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Put yeah. on your mask and shut up. Dad's, <laughs> Dad's got away with the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You got to go to church. Uh, I mean, I probably here's the thing is I probably have some uh, commentary from the mom. Uh, I, I here's the thing I, I know it's a common complaint. I, church should not feel that way. Yeah, I mean sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just a place that you go, and sometimes it's because no one else is your age. Like it's just it's not it's not the same as whatever giant fun thing that you wanted to do. I yeah. I I totally get you. And frankly, there are things of the faith where I feel like it does take. There's some kids that don't go through this, but I don't think it's very many. Like, sometimes life has to hit you a bit before you're like, I get it. I yeah. get why that's important now. I understand. Right. And these, like, the things that seem, uh, it's funny, you would say, like, we mo- almost would accuse some some people who, churchgoers of, like, uh, boy, look at these, look at these platitudes. Look at these things they always repeat that seem so shallow until you realize five years later after some life has happened to you that, they're not shallow at all. They're repeating them so they don't forget them because it's super important to their life and it matters to them. And it's the rhythm of what they're doing. And so, yeah, I think I think I think Dan's right. Like you got, you're just gonna go. You're 15. You're gonna do what your parents ask you to do. Um, if I have an encouragement in here somewhere, it is um, don't live. Um, one of the one of the worst things you could do at 15 actually is to have your faith and how you view faith dependent on what your parents are doing. Um, because right, right, wrong, or indifferent, you will. Um, if your relationship with your parents, just like if your relationship with your pastor or whoever discipling you is dependent on how they are doing things and then you misjudge Jesus, like you'll get it jacked up. You will. And everyone has a an unfair view of their parents at some time or other, okay? Mm-hmm. And so um, here's what I would say. You got to be there anyway. And so make the most of the time. If the thing is, like, if, if you're saying, hey, I get awkward when people ask me about Jesus, if you believe in God and, you're, and you've been paying attention through the first 15 years of your existence, and Jesus says, "Go and make disciples." Then you know you got it. You got something in there that you need to work on, yeah. uh, and that you need more information on. So, like, here's here's what I here's I used to do this. If you go to a church and like maybe the the sermon's not particularly grabbing you, it doesn't feel like it's hitting you. It's either over your head, doesn't apply to you. Then just read. 
I read mm-hmm. I read through most of the Old Testament, listening to old Howard, because mm-hmm. uh, I like Howard. He had a nice deep baritone, but it puts a man to sleep, and I didn't get the stories. Mm-hmm. He had a tattoo of a ship on his arm, though. Yeah, super he was interesting. Like, yeah, he was. Yeah, okay, but that's what I remember about Howard, and I read a, mo- a good chunk of the Old Testament doing it. Uh, I don't remember much of that now. I, it's not like I took away great things, but I was already there. Uh, mm-hmm. You might as well read something. Make good relationships. Like, just just don't. Um, if you if you acquiesce to the fact, this is sound bad because my comparison is going to be: look, if you're already married, you stay in it, and you figure out how to make the best of it. That's kind of the situation. You're going to go anyway. Try to make be nice to the people who smile at you. Don't just put them off. Like, embrace the fact that you're there, and don't make it about your mom. Uh, and then hopefully, you know, that, that's some, it's, a, it's a faith that you continue to grow into that as your own so that when you mom can't force you anymore, you don't drop Jesus at the same time because I think mm-hmm. that's the risk. I think I think if we had to give some counter advice to, to the mom, um, there's no benefit to uh, both y- your child and you bringing gas to the fire, right? Like yeah. your kid, I, I, it's, it's a way that teenagers are going to go, you did it, and your teenagers are going to do it to you. Um, they're loaded with gas all the time, and 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 some of the things they're just gonna want to blow up. And your job is to never let their emotions control you. And so, like, she's gonna go. I don't want to go to church. I don't know why we gotta go to that stupid church. I don't even want to go. And you go. I hear what you're saying. Car's running. We gotta we gotta get going though, right? Just just deadpan it. Work on your work on your deadpan because you're gonna their their emotions are running. And I hate blaming things on hormones, but they play some they play some roles. Yep. You know, and, and, and most of all, if you can remember this about your teenage daughter, your teenage son, they're trying to figure out who they are. They don't even know who they are. They're trying on a bunch of different skins and a bunch of different attitudes and trying to figure out what suits them and what they like. And everybody does it. And you've got to have some patience to know that your darling child is still in there and they're just trying to figure out who they're going to be. And they, they do have to go to church. You don't bend your rules, right? You just don't throw ga- You don't bring gas with you, right? You just... Yeah, I know you don't want to go. I hear what you're saying. I think it's valid. I need you to have some grace for me because you're still getting in the car. We got to get going. It's like nine ten, so I'll get you donut on the way in. Here we go. We got to get going. Yeah. So, so don't don't bring gas to fires that teenagers bring. You just gotta let you gotta let them blow it up. You gotta let them try it out, and and you're their test audience, and 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 be grateful for that. You get the honor of doing that, right? Because you don't want them trying out personalities in front of other pe- a bunch of other That's people. That's right. That's you right. You want them trying it out on you. And so, which means you're going to have to get some real thick skin. And, some, and, and every once in a while, you're going to get waylaid, right? Something's going to come out of way out of nowhere, and you'll be like, what is happening? They're just trying skins out, right? Back it down. Submit them over to God. This is the hardest thing for parents to do. You have to submit your kids to God. And that's not submitting them by, like, you're going to say, you submit to God. You're saying, God, you gave me these gifts. I'm trying to be as faithful as I can, but I cannot do this without you. Please help me raise these kids. Point them, give them ears to hear and eyes to see. Let them see you and let them see you through me and give me the strength to do this and do it well. Through your grace, amen, and be done. And that's it. And some of, and some of your kids are going to go off the deep end and it is hard to watch and I hear you. Um, but you are doing no favors. by. It, it was the phrase where she said, um, my mother makes everything bad until she gets her way. Um, some of that is a teenage perspective where right. uh, these things are bad. Um, but once again, just just be careful that you're not bringing gas to a bonfire that's already rolling, right? Just you're the calm presence here. You need to be that through their teenage years because they're going to need it when they get finally pick their skin, and they're going to want to know that they're accepted for for the skin that they chose and and the God that they still want to know and remember that you took this thing well. So I I, I know it's hard, and I know it's hard to watch them try these different things on because they're going to try out some wild ones. But just be patient, and and whatever you do, do not stop praying for your children. 
It's that that's the thing. Like there's books and there's classes and there's talking to other parents and all these things are great. But like if you're skipping the prayer thing, you're missing out on the most powerful thing that we know. And so I'm I'm begging you to just go back to to praying for your kids if you're not doing it. Do it do it often. Okay, secular says your mother isn't listening to you because she is convinced that she is doing the right thing for you. Not knowing how fervent she is about her church and her religion, it's hard to predict how she would react if you tried to turn this into less of a power struggle and more of an adult conversation. As it stands, you are a minor, and as long as you live under her roof, she makes the rules. When you are 18 and can live on your own, the decision of whether you want to continue going to church every Sunday will be yours. This may seem hard, but if your mother is unwilling to talk through this with you, you will have to be patient. Yeah, I think that's true. We kind of agreed with the uh, secular twice today. Yeah, yeah, that's odd. We usually we're usually not on par with what she's saying. I mean, it's it is a very flat thing. I I know I got I got more of a heart for the parents on this deal because I think mm-hmm. the kids are gonna you're just you're just gonna run through this. And like I, I just had a, I had a conversation with one of my kids this early this week. She was talking about uh, hormone changes and people going through adolescence. And I said adolescence is a phony word made up by parents who feel guilty that their kids are being jerky. I said we don't subscribe to adolescence here. <laughs> He goes, you mean it doesn't, it won't happen to us? And I go, oh no, people will say it will happen to you. We just don't subscribe to the effects of adolescence, which means <laughs> that you have to take responsibility for everything that comes out of your mouth. I'm not going to say that you're not being driven by some changes that are going on and, and some angst and whatever is happening. Everybody's been there, but we don't get to relay responsibility to a phony period of life that doesn't actually exist. Right, <laughs> right. Like if uh, if your emotions got you all jazzed up and you said the wrong the wrong thing, like, you still have to apologize That's right. For you it. get to practice the art of the apology. That's right. Which you will use plenty when you're an adult, right? You'll, yep, you'll yep. have done something, and you'll sit, you'll, two minutes later, you go, ah, crap. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then you get to practice here's, walking down the stairs and going, I screwed up. <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, it's, it's, and that's a, that's a good reminder of not missing an opportunity to, to handle things the right way in that, like, that's a very healthy thing to be able to do. Mm-hmm. To be able to go, hey, it's come back down the stairs 10, 10 minutes later and go, you know what? I lost my temper here, and I know why. I'm feeling a little bit jazzed up. Said I've been like that all day, and uh, I know that's that's not deferring responsibility. That's it's 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 owning your emotions and saying like I'll I've done that. Uh, I think I did that as recently as two weeks ago. Like I don't know. I just woke up and I was just irritated. I just my irritated. My frame mm-hmm. of mind wasn't great, and like. I caught myself, especially when it's this is where having a two-year-old is helpful because, like, there really isn't much that two-year-old could do that should cause me to get, to have anger. Yeah. It might be irritation, sure. but anger doesn't make any sense. And there was something where, like, I think he was just he was just kind of nagging. Like, I was I was sitting around. I know what it is. I what I work because I work from home. Um, he just loves it. He goes, Are "You going to talk to the peoples, Dad? You going to talk to the peoples?" You need coffee? You going to talk to the people? And I'm like, no, but it's Saturday. It's, it's, I'm not doing that. And like, he just kept asking me. I'm like, Arlo, stop it. <laughs> and then just at that moment, like, I wasn't harsh, but like, I just thought, that's, I over, that was, that doesn't make sense. It does overreact. And so I, I told him I was sorry. And then I found the other three kids. They happened to be standing in the living room and somewhere. I said, look, I need to give you a heads up here. I'm feeling edgy and I'm not quite sure why. And just so you know, I'm going to do my very best. To, to, to tone this down I'm praying on it And I'm, I'm trying to figure out What's going on But just a heads up to you That if I don't take you in right One I'm telling you This is how I am uh, And two uh, Just know that Just know how dad's feeling Just this morning Because like Then I can take Some level of responsibility For myself yeah. And like I, I know what's going on I'm not saying uh, the, the point is It's not justified I'm not saying Oh you made me mad And like It's the edginess That's getting it 
I, I'm still responsible for this one way or I'm doing my best to have you take me in the best I can while I'm working this stuff out. And I think it's totally great for a teenager to have to say that. Have to go, not go, oh, it's the hormones. Say, look, I think my hormones are jazzing with me, but I, I, regardless, I overstepped. But just know this is, I'm not, been, I'm not feeling right. Something right now is just not working fluidly, and I, feel, I, I, I seem to be overreacting because of it. I've self, I'm self-diagnosing. I think that's very healthy because it causes people to have to reflect on themselves and go, why am I acting the way that I'm acting? Is this mm-hmm. even justified? And, like, even if I can figure out the thing, can I at least acknowledge that even if I didn't, it's not my normal personality, I impacted someone. And I should still apologize for it because I don't want them to feel bad or be on the other side of my hormonal activity. Right. So I think that's, yeah, I think it's totally okay. It's okay to explain yourself but not to make excuses for yourself. Yeah, I think that's solid. All right. Heads up, parents. We'll be praying for you. Yeah. Tough times. Yeah. Hey, you've been listening to Live from the Path. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us this week. That's two weeks in a row. I can't make any promises beyond that. I'll tell you this, though. If you go out to the Life from the Path YouTube page and you search for Caps for Sale, Caps for Sale continues to do awesome. It's almost wow. up to 1.2 million views. Two people this week have commented that they're, they came to that video from something called Polo Boys, which I thought, boy. What's that? I... I I got the filters on the internet. I don't know if I want to go finding this thing, searching whatever this is. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a, um, uh, a, like a Korean channel or a Chinese channel that has kids stories on it. Okay, huh. cool. And they refer people over, um, but I can't read the Chinese or the Korean, so I don't have any do, idea. Do we monetize this thing? Do we get a couple cents? We can't. Here's the deal: the show would be doing fantastic if we could, but because if you listen to Caps for Sale, there's some un- there's some music in there. Uh, that we didn't pay any licensing for. Remember, I told you it got yeah. blocked by the guy from uh, Amelie soundtrack who plays a piano. Uh, but it's not blocked in the United States, so you can still watch it. We just can't make any money off of it. Okay, that's the biggest irony. And the right thrown in the side of the old life from the path. One point two million views, zero dollars. <laughs> Nothing to show for. <laughs> this this sounds like our gig right here. That's how we roll. Know, <laughs> I don't even know how that does it pay like a like like if it was monetized, you get like a penny per view. Uh, it depends on whether they click the ads or whatever that that go on in the in the monetization. But like, there was a time when it was monetized. It was a very short amount of time, and we made like twenty bucks. Huh. Yeah, yeah, that'll pay for uh, one eighth of this microphone. If it was oh. a penny <laughs> per view, we'd have ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's make some new music on that. Yeah, <laughs> swap the music out. Go to something else. We'll beatbox it. People love it. <laughs> Okay, thanks for hanging out with us. We do appreciate it. Hey, let's say you hate the show or love the show. I don't care either way. Call the Bob Eisenhower complaint line. That's 515-517-0085. That's call or text the Bob Eisenhower live from the path complaint line, and we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, uh, we will maybe see you next week or the week after. Who knows? In the meantime, be faithful in the means. God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Live from the Path.